We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that just stops abruptly. And, you know, we, we've got the countdown at the start of the show and it just boom dropped off the beat. And, uh, That's right. It's just you, buddy. Off guard. That's right. How you doing there, Vince? I'm great, man. It's a Wednesday night. And, you know, I, I'm excited. It's a good day. It's a good day. Yeah. Good Wednesday. And we've got all kinds of stuff going on today. And I don't like to, like, sit at the front of the show and do, like, a full, like, spend five minutes teasing what's coming up and all those kind of things. I'll just tell you. We've got three members of Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. I've got an extensive interview with them coming up. We're going to relive their uh, win at the College World Series over Rice. The anniversary, the 20-year anniversary of that is this Friday. So I've got Steve Stanley, Steve Solman, Brian Stavisky. One of them tripled. One of them had an RBI single. The other had a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth against Rice in Omaha in 2002. But uh, so, so that's... That's the only tease I'm going to give. But, you know, so it's it's like the middle of June. If you're here in South Bend, you know it is a freaking scorcher out there right now. And, and I know you're out, you know, doing Gatorade camps and all that kind of stuff, Vince. So, you know, I hope you're sucking yeah. it down yourself. But Yes, uh, got to stay hydrated, baby. That's the yeah. key. That's the name of the game. So there's not a lot going on in college football right now. 80 days to go, though, until Notre Dame and Ohio State. Yes. And guess what? You know, really, when the Marcus Freeman era starts in earnest on the field, you know, we've got our first blown Marcus Freeman controversy. Now, we haven't really had one of these before, and now we've got it blown up to an extent anyway in the national media, and especially in Columbus, I guess. But, you know, he's obviously coached exactly one game as a head coach, Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. Made Fighting Irish fans, you know, pretty weak in the knees with how he's recruited ever since he got here, you know, beginning, you know, with being a defensive coordinator about a year and a half ago. And he's only continued to make fans swoon by putting together, you know, what's right now, the number one ranked 2023 recruiting class in the country. And, you know, here he is. He's got his very first he said, she said kind of moment. So, What's it all about? What did he say? Well, I kind of want to get into the nuts and bolts, kind of lay this out. You know, I know Brian talked about it earlier. And we'll just, I'll lay it out for, you know, maybe maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't. He did a sit down, Freeman, Marcus Freeman does a sit down interview with Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports. And here's how the headline reads. 
With his Notre Dame honeymoon nearly over, Marcus Freeman looks to keep the hype train rolling. And that's like, you know, pretty innocuous, you know, nothing offensive there by any means. You know, it's a pretty, I thought the article itself, have you read the article, Vince? I have not. No, I have not. I've just been listening to everybody talk about it, basically. I didn't read the, uh, yeah, I didn't read it word for word, but I kind of skimmed through, you know, look for the highlights, you know, sort of the themes of what they were talking about. I mean, to me, it's pretty pro Freeman. I thought, you know, it was just kind of a little fluff piece, Marcus Freeman, middle of June, that kind of thing. For two thirds of the article, it seemed very tame to me. And then kind of toward the end, Freeman is asked about, you know, transfers and recruiting and how NIL factors into recruiting, you know, these, you know, that, that kind of different things, things like that. And the whole controversy comes down to one word, two letters, the word if, (laughs) I-F. So right. here's how Freeman's first quote reads. This is, again, this is later in the article yeah. you know, when they're getting into this recruiting conversation. Quote, I'm not saying from top to bottom, but, but the majority of our kids, they, I want to say this the right way, are pushed to learn and their study habits are formulated every day. You can't cheat academics at Notre Dame. Again, like you're not going to find too much dissent there, right? I think we're all going to agree with that. I do. So. I definitely agree with it. I think, I, you know, I don't think it's it's going too far out on a limb to say that Notre Dame is an academic school and you're not going, you have to go to class at Notre Dame, period, right? Academics is paramount, end of discussion. That's not exactly a giant surprise, right? So I have no problem with Marcus Freeman saying that. Zero. Yeah. All right. I completely agree with you you on that as well so to make his point freeman brings up this is from the article two most significant football stops in his career before he was at notre dame ohio state freeman played defensive back for jim trestle uh, drafted by the nfl and the chicago bears and then of course the, with the cincinnati bearcats he was one of the nation's best defensive coordinators in yep. you know, then he comes to notre dame so then here's the next quote where this is where the controversy comes in so this is this is the discrepancy hmm. quote right here so here's the quote that was in the original article now it has since been corrected and i'll tell you how it was corrected here in a minute but this is how it read the first time quote you don't go to class at places like that okay take some online classes show up for your appointments at notre dame you're forced every day to go to class end quote so that's what freeman said and and it says Dodd says, Freeman said rhetorically. So that's what it said. So now that quote does make it sound like Freeman's taking a direct shot at Ohio State, right? Sounds like he's saying, hey, you don't go to class there. And maybe you take some online classes, but at Notre Dame, you have to go to class. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Exactly. Direct direct shots over the bow on that one. Yeah. Yes. But again, one word, two letters. If Freeman says CBS left the word if out of the start of that quote. So instead of starting with, you don't go to class at places like that. It should say, according to Freeman, if you don't go to class at places like that, okay, you take some online classes, show up for your appointments at Notre Dame. You're forced every day to go to class, Freeman said rhetorically, end quote. Changes the meaning quite a bit, right? Huge. Hugely. <laughs> I mean, it really does. I. It's scary how much one little two-letter word changes the meaning of a sentence so dramatically that this did because one is 
pointedly, they don't go to class. They just take some online classes and it's no big deal. He's saying, well, if you don't go to class, then you can take some online classes. And, you know, that's different than at Notre Dame. Those are light years different, you know, meanings. And all they did was stick the word if at the beginning. Light years different. I'm sorry to shave or I'm sorry to shave. I'm sorry to laugh, but uh, I just put the quote up on the screen. Can you see that? Oh, I can see it. Yeah. And a listener say Vince like lucky just shaved and got a facial used his, uh, used to his five o'clock shadow and stubble that he usually rocks. And that's, that's and a true story. I'll tell you what, David, that's it's out of sheer laziness on my part yeah. when it comes to the no shave thing. Yeah. I hate yep. shaving. So Freeman goes on a Columbus radio station. Here's the quote from there. Quote, when Marcus Freeman says you don't go to class at a place like that, it changes the entire narrative. When you really look what exactly I said, I was talking about if you don't go to class at these big schools that have 60,000, 40,000 students, okay? You can take online classes. We can't. End quote. Um, you know, he's you know, he says basically the majority of the kids at Notre Dame can't take right. online. Well, and somebody and- earlier let, said, let me let me oh, let me yeah, finish this quote real quick yep, and then this sorry. will be the last quote and we can just kind of talk so quote i would never disrespect ohio state i would never say you don't go to class freeman said i went to class i'm sure you and he's talking to bobby carpenter he was one of the hosts of the show former you know ohio state teammate i'm sure you did we certainly went to class and i guess james laurinitis who of course right you know from the ohio state days who's on the notre dame staff he's the one who initially kind of uh put freeman onto this you know what was what was going on Oh, that he was getting backlash. Yeah, that all when all this backlash was, you know, starting up. So, so what do you think, Vince? You know, I I can see as someone who has transcribed, you know, audio and stuff like that in my quotes, which is what Dennis Dodd did. You know, I I haven't heard the recording, obviously, so I have no idea what it sounded. You know, so Dodd obviously felt that he was in error, he must have gone back and listened to it. I could see where, you know, like maybe if Marcus, you know, kind of like that, if, you know, like, he's, you know, kind of a guttural, like maybe he kind of muffles the if or something like that, and the guy doesn't notice the if, and then he's just saying you don't, whatever. He went back and corrected it online. The, you know, the story online does now include the if. Do you think it was an intentional if or an unintentional if that was deleted initially? You know, the quote, the way I understand it is the quote that was used in the article is one of those, you know, where they use the beginning and they use the end and there's the ellipse in between. So a lot uh-huh. of stuff got cut out. And so I feel like. So the like, intent, yeah, like the ellipsis is like you you delete kind of some small, you know, like. Right. Some misdirectional some kind of potentially yeah, go off on a tangent. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like some stuff was left out on purpose. I don't know if it was because of his and that can happen to Dame or what, whatever the reasoning behind it was. He had a point he was trying to make in the article. And I think he used the quote the way he wanted to use it to make his point. That's in the world we live in today. It's clickbaity. And that could be. Get it. That that very well and, could be too, you know. Because again, like when I read through the rest of the quotes and you know, in the content of the story, it you know, it was not anti-Freeman by any means, you know. It was sure. like, you know, stuff from where you've got Jack Swarbert quoted in there and how much they liked him, you know, just a lot of the typical same stuff we've really heard over the last six months. This again, this is like the right. latter third of the article where it really, you know, starts to get into this stuff. 
And, you know, and to, nobody's <laughs> talking about the other stuff, though. That's the yeah, thing. You know, the, but 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 even even with the conversation that's going on with with Marcus Freeman right now, like if if this exact same thing had come out of Brian Kelly's mouth, this whole oh. thing would just be. I mean, it would be a flaming gasoline can, you know, sitting <laughs> sitting outside your house, ready to burn the roof off your house if Brian Kelly said it. So, like, at least with Marcus Freeman, you know, like, I think that there is a much more sympathetic public lean toward Marcus Freeman than there is toward Brian Kelly. You know what I mean? Like, hearing oh, Marcus I agree Freeman, with that. You know, I think it's it's especially the fact that that Dodd and CBS have uh, you know done the backpedal now and they've gone back and they've added the if to the quote well and they backpedaled big time because i from what i understand there's also an editor's note in there as well about how he was using ohio state and cincinnati as anecdotal you know schools and things of that nature like yeah the fact that they had to go back and add a word and add an editor's note feels like they are backpedaling like crazy on Mm -hmm. this you know what i mean and that's that's not good that that that's not a good look i will say that right I will also say that I think Marcus Freeman right now, because he's so new, because of all the good things he's been doing, he's kind of Teflon-ish. Like, I don't think this is going to stick past 24, 48 hours, to be honest with you. And I don't think well, it's that big of a story to begin with. So. It'll Well, unless you're in Columbus, right? Or well, unless you're an Ohio State fan. Because Ohio State Notre fans Dame, are crazy anyway. The fact that, I, but, but the fact that Notre Dame's going to Ohio State September 3rd, you know, this is going to come up again in Columbus. You know, it, it's I'm not sure going it to come up here, but it's going to come up again in Columbus. So, uh, And they I can just, bring it up all they want. They're, the, their quarterback of their last national championship team basically said, I didn't come to school to go to class. So, I mean, it's not exactly like a big secret that Notre Dame is an academic institution and Ohio State, for the football players, is not necessarily that. So, they can cry and whine all they want, but the bottom line is facts are facts. Notre Dame is an educational institution, a high educational institution. Mm-hmm. Ohio State, from the athletic standpoint, it's not. Those are facts. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. So, they can be mad at Marcus Freeman because he's. I mean, one it's of their a state school. There are two, there are two completely Fine. different standards yeah, of admission. You know, so absolutely. that's the, but you know that's why you know there's them. there's sixty thousand you know enrollment at one and there's ten thousand at the other. Yeah, you know, there's there's a big difference between the two. It's a there's huge no about that. It's a huge difference, and I, yeah. and again, Cardell Jones says he's not going there to go to school. Okay, that's cool. I'm sure he's not the only one, but I'm also sure that. There's guys on the Ohio State football team that are going to class, and there are they are taking it very seriously. So Here's what I you wonder: can't, you can't paint a broad brush, right? Like I heard, um, it wasn't an interview with Aaron Rodgers, but it was somebody who had interviewed Aaron Rodgers a couple years back for like it was like I can't remember if it was SI or maybe ESPN, you know, one of the national publications, and it, so it was a sit down where like the guy actually met up with Aaron Rodgers in his house and. And the whole thing, and Aaron Rodgers basically demanded, you know, not not demanded, but he wanted copies of the recordings so that he could keep those on file in yeah. case this kind of stuff came up. I wonder how many people, you know, public figures like this, sports fit, whoever they are, kind of ask for that, uh, you know, as as a fallback for their own security to make sure so that so that when they're saying, well, I was misquoted, I was taken out of, you know, whatever. You know, they can actually go back and prove this kind of stuff. You know, I, I wonder I how know, many people ask for that. I do know that Marcus Freeman asked for the audio from their interview, yeah. and, and he got it. Like, 
press conference setting, it's all it's all there. Everything's recorded. You know what's Absolutely. being recorded. But if it's a one-on-one, which this sure. was, I wonder how many people asked for that. Yeah. Interesting. And that, you know, and that's, again, I think if you're looking at this from Marcus Freeman's standpoint, okay, if this is the biggest controversy that happens over the next year or so, then so be it, right? Mm-hmm. I, big deal. Right? That, that's how I look at it. And I also look at it as a learning opportunity for a guy who's a head coach for the first time and a lot more eyes are on him than there ever was in the past. So if he can learn from this, then fantastic. That That's the way I look at it. This is a non-story to me. He was just stating facts. Vince, the people are demanding a mustache from you. <laughs> They're going to be sadly, is that, sadly disappointed. I'd kind of uh, like to see that. I'd like to see it's that. It's not a good look. I can show you a picture. Uh, well, I was over at Notre Dame earlier this afternoon, and a couple of the players, you know, they're all, have you noticed that they're doing the postseason the stashes? Players. All the baseball players have the stashes. It's, yeah, and some have better stashes than others. Let's it's just a look. put it that way. It's a look. I mean, <laughs> That's right. It's a look. That's right. Mustaches are are very. Did I, you see? By the way, we got accused of ruining Top Guns. You know, like we were doing. Someone said that we were doing Top Gun spoilers in the what? show the other day. No way. Who said? I don't that? think there were any spoilers, right? I, I think we were like maybe talked a little general I think we plot, danced but we didn't give anything it. away, right? Yeah, I think we danced around it a little bit, but I don't That's think we I gave thought. any spoilers. That's what I thought. Because there, there's a ton of information that we did not talk about at all. I think so too. I think but, so too. Hey, that's okay. All right. So speaking People. of being at Notre Dame, of course, Notre Dame back in the College World Series, and everyone's they left today, up. huh? They left today. Last they night. did leave today. Yeah. That's right. And I was watching them put together their swag bags uh, in the armory, the Under Armory, whatever they call okay. it. Okay. Under Armory, and they were putting it all together and getting ready to ship it out to the guys. And yeah, it was pretty cool actually. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's I was just looking. Somebody had a, a Top Gun comment. He, he just said, if you didn't see Top Gun by now, you're not a real American. And, uh, <laughs> Spanky always coming t- through for us. Tend to agree with that, Spanky. Yeah, no but, doubt uh, about it. 
Yeah, so before they left this afternoon, they did a little, they, they practiced uh, one last time over at Frank Egg Stadium, Link Jarrett and a couple of uh, players, Jared Miller and uh, Lamana came out and, you know, talked to the, with, with the media for a little bit afterwards. And um, so Link Jarrett spent some time with the media today back in the College World Series for the first time in 20 years. And, you know, if you were watching Sunday's Super Regional clinching win over Tennessee, you saw the current team bring out that big banner from the 2002 yeah. Fighting Irish College World Series team. You saw it, right? We talked about it the other day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was in a lot Talk- of pictures and they kind yeah. of posed with it as a team. And yeah, it was pretty cool. So uh, Paul Maneri, I had him on Monday's show. I asked him about it. He said he got so emotional watching the end of that game, seeing the current team win, and then bringing his team's big banner out on the field after the game. And what Paul said was, you know, starting with that season, 2002, after they went to the College World Series, they had this big flag made, 2002 College World Series. It had ND logos on each of the corners, and they flew that over Frank Eck Stadium for the entire 2003 season. That's cool. And then every year afterwards, what they would do was fly the flag of whatever their greatest achievement was from the season before. So they had Big East banners up, you know, for the next few years through from uh, 04 through 06, I guess, and, you know, until he left. But he said he had not seen that banner since the 2003 season when it last yeah. flew over Frank X Stadium and that he got so emotional. He was brought to tears when he saw, yeah. you know, the, the current team bring that banner out and, you know, they were waving it out for the for the crowd and it was, you know, really cool and all that kind of stuff. So today I asked Link Jarrett the story behind how that banner made its way to Knoxville. So here's Link Jarrett from earlier today. And Nick, his son is, um, is our academic advisor. So before I ever got here, Paul was like, I'm going to tell you some of the things I think you need to know as you enter Notre Dame. And we talked, I sat in a little Starbucks near my house in North Carolina for 40 minutes. And I literally was like writing things down. And some of the stuff 100% I agreed with and did. There were a few things I said, that's probably, I didn't tell him, but that's probably not my style of doing it. And every coach has to have his style. But his continued, and that was call one, his continued advice on how to navigate some of the things that make Notre Dame very special but very unique, he, he guided me. And then Nick was our academic advisor, and he literally sat in my office with me whenever I asked him to, and we talked about the travel and the classes and when we should practice and how long we should practice and what days we should have study hall, what days we should lift, what days should we do tutor? Should we do them at night? Should we try to fit them in in the morning? So those guys got me off the ground here. I'm probably wrong about the banner story, but I think they brought that back. Did they bring that back when their group was was here? He said he said he hadn't seen it since 2003. Yeah. How did it evolve? It just been passed down since. Where was it? Where was the physical banner? Somebody's living room. Okay. <laughs> That's bad. Probably won't use that one. <laughs> that team 
uh, back to what you feel. Like to walk into this room when we're playing Boston College and feel that team's presence who essentially did what we did. I did the color commentary of the game. To think about that's how this thing lined up, it's magical. And I stood here with those guys for a while and talked to Paul and we went out and guys were in exams. We played a terrible game. I think we lost Friday night. Might have been one of our toughest losses. And then played one of our best games Saturday and one Sunday, like kind of a comeback. So that group watching our team perform and their comments on how they enjoyed watching the way they do it, that's the feeling I have from that group. And now you're 20 years later, the number one team, I think theirs was the number one team, yeah. and you look at that banner and there's that blank bottom of it where it looks like that you should and will, you're gonna plug 2022 right in there under the other two and it's meant to be, it's fitting. And Paul had a hand in it probably more than he realizes. That last comment there was really interesting to hear, you know, probably even more than he realizes that he had a hand at it. And, and Palmineri told us the other day he's going to be in Omaha. In fact, he left today, you know, to cheer on the Irish. His wife, Karen's birthday is Friday, and she wanted to be there for tomorrow night's opening ceremony, you know, and there are going to be other members of that O2 team there as well. What you, would you think, Vince, kind of seeing and hearing that? I'm thinking if you send that clip to Paul, he's going to cry again. That was my. <laughs> I think that was, you're probably right. <laughs> that was my first thought, just because uh, I've heard Paul talk so much, and and uh, I know how emotional that he can get. But I, I, it was very interesting that he had no idea where that flag came from. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, um, he was asking the yeah the SID and yeah. a couple players were off camera. That's who he was yeah. asking. I about thought that was that. great. Yeah. I thought that was great. But he understands the significance of it, and he understands. I think if you're talking about Notre Dame and you're talking about history and you're talking about tradition, when you have a coach that understands that and embraces it, I think that's the key. That's the most important part. Cause there's coaches right. that have come through, whether it's football, whether it's baseball or whatever, they, they get that there's tradition at Notre Dame, but they don't embrace it. Okay. Like Paul said in his interview with you on Monday, he said, this is the first time that I've spoken to a group of players at Notre Dame since I left. How do you coach at Notre Dame and not have Palmineri come talk to the players? <laughs> well, he was coaching at another school, he I guess. He comes back for he right. reunions all the time. He's yeah. here. I mean, he's on That's campus. True. And I know that because I know but, you. Well, here's here's what I would say to that, because I was thinking this even outside of that, the fact that it's a lot easier now when you're two coaches removed you know, from the guys who followed him. Dave Schrag came right on his heels, sure. and then Mick Aoki followed him. And so now Link Jarrett is the, you know, the third coach removed sure. from Palmineri. So it's a lot easier 16 years and three coaches, you know, removed from that. There's more, there's, you know, there's less maybe pushback, you know, from kind of maybe, you know, because I know Dave Schrag felt a lot of pressure. Like Dave Schrag oh, and that sure staff that followed, they were asked, you know, because when Dave Schrag took over, he was, they were only five years removed from yeah. going to the College World Series. And now we're 15 years post that. So, you know, he felt a lot of pressure. People right. would come up to him. You guys going to go back to Omaha? You know, you get to get to Omaha and all, you know, they didn't even get to the tournament, obviously. But, you know, so that's kind of the kind of pressure that they felt. Not only were you following a legend, but you were also hearing from all these fans, you know, who still had really lofty expectations. So I definitely think it's easier 
you know, 16 years down the line now. You know, I get that, like but that. I just think it's it's very and, and you don't even necessarily need to have the head coach back, but having former players come back and talk and just yeah. again embracing the tradition, embracing the history, I think is really really important. And it sounds to me like that's happening at Notre Dame, and I think that that's really important. So yeah, he he gets it to me. He understands it. Well, and and I think it's cool that you know because it's one thing if if Paul texts. But, you know, maybe a more full of himself coach would just say, I, you know, I don't have to listen to you. Right. I, you know, I'm a great coach. I do my right. thing and and whatever. But he said he sat there in a coffee shop taking notes for 40 minutes on all these things Paul's saying. And I agree with what he was talking about, too. It's like because I know Paul as well. There are like some very specific things oh, I'm sure. that he would do that maybe not every coach is going to do, you know, and again, right, like right. when you talk about that transition from one coach to the next, there, you know, there was pushback in some of those things because players are used to one thing. Now right. they're getting another thing. But again, when you're so far down the line now, I, I think the reception is a lot different for somebody like that to come back. And so, I get that. I just too. think it's yeah. cool that he's doing that too. Absolutely. And that, and that link is listening to it because yes. you are talking about a hall of fame coach who won a national championship and six college world series. You know, right. So. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Now, again, here in just a few minutes, I've got Steve Stanley, Steve Solman, Brian Stavisky from from Notre Dame's 2002 team. You know, the team that that those players were honoring out there on the field at the Super Regional in Knoxville the other day. And we are going to uh, recount and relive that dramatic ninth inning come from behind win that Brian Stavisky ended with a home run. At the College World Series, it'll be 20 years ago on Friday. In the meantime, though, Vince, fill in the blank on this next question. Nope. It's blank, speaking of Notre Dame baseball, <laughs> it's blank that former Notre Dame football and baseball player Golden Tate is attempting a comeback in baseball at the age of 33. Typical? Can I say typical? <laughs> this uh, is like very Golden Tate, right? Yeah, is that what you mean by well, that? Well, <laughs> it's very Golden Tate, but it's also very uh, pro athlete who has a lot of money and is now True. bored, frankly. And he did not get an opportunity, at least to my knowledge, to join a football roster, even though I still right. think that there should be I think he's a got place. some tread on the tires. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think there should be a place for him. I think he could be a number three guy. You know, but is he willing to accept that role? I, I don't know all the ins and outs of, of Golden Tate and, you know, his thoughts sure. and all of that. But he's made a lot of money. He's had a great career in the NFL. So he's sitting back. He's retired at the age of 33, for goodness sake. I mean, it, it's hard for me to imagine the word retire in 33, right? So he's got all this time on his hands. He could probably still sling the rock a little bit. So he's like, yeah. you know, what the heck? Might as well give it a shot. So you know what? It's typical of, a, of an athlete, and I give him props for that. Go ahead, man. Try to fight off those younger guys and do something special, man. He, he's I, he's still got wheels. We know that. That's and, so, and you know that's the thing that he always had. Yeah. You know, two thousand nine was his last season playing baseball for Notre Dame, and to my knowledge, the last time he's played baseball. Period. He hit three twenty nine that season in fifty five games, three eighty eight on base percentage, mm -hmm. four fourteen slugging percentage. A homer, eight doubles, four triples, stole 13 bases. That was as a sophomore. And then I think after that, he ended up being drafted. Here's what's interesting to me. He's going to play for a team called the Port Angeles Lefties in the West Coast Collegiate League. It is in the huh. Seattle area, I guess. So semi-pro ball? Is that semi-pro? It's not even. It's a collegiate oh. league. So oh. these leagues are basically like 
you know, college baseball players play their season at school, and then in the summer they summer go league. off to these wood bat summer leagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what kind of league this is. It's a college summer league. Now he does have remaining baseball eligibility, but it's still weird because I looked, you know, I was looking online and it says this league is for players with college, you know, who are in college, basically. So here's 33-year-old Golden wow. Tate. And he's playing with all these college-age players, it sounds like. So so that adds a wrinkle to me. Like that yeah. makes it even more interesting because I mean, he could I wonder if he could enroll back at Notre Dame and be like a pinch runner for this team. Like I'm sure they could use some wheels on the base pass. That's you know? a good question. That's a good because don't but don't you have like five to use four or something like like could you come I'm, back? I'm sure I don't think you could come back that far and, down and the play. road. Yeah, you know, but you, I, but that would be you know like if he could have enrolled, you know, like <laughs> in the spring and you've got golden Tate coming off your bench, stealing bases, but that's Same. what he was good at. You know, like golden Tate when I, cause he was back in my last, you know, year or so of, you know, do, calling the games for Notre Dame baseball. He was, he was there yeah, and he was very raw still. Right. And you know, he was still trying to figure out the swing, but I remember just a little Texas league blooper. He hit into shallow right center field once that he turned into into a double when we were down in Florida. You know, he obviously has wheels and, you know, it's just, you know, he's starting with pretty low expectations. And like you said, I mean, he played 11 seasons in the NFL. He got a couple nice paychecks. So he's got some money. You know, there are worse hobbies, I guess, you can have if you're Golden Tate, you know. And maybe it works out, but he's going to have to get it going here pretty quickly. Maybe he can get Jeff Samarja to pitch to him, you know, (laughs) somewhere down the road. I mean, look, you and I would love to suit up and play ball again, right? If we had the ability to do so. And if somebody yeah. offered me the opportunity to do it, I'd go do it. You know what sure. I mean? I I feel like a goof dressing up for to manage a high school baseball team in full uniform, but I would love to play. And, you know, I would love I think, to give that a shot. I think being Golden Tate, especially in the Seattle area where, you know, he helped the Seahawks win their Super Bowl, I think that probably opens doors for – Someone like Golden Tate that aren't going to open for, you know, Doughboys, Vincent, Sean. You know, absolutely. So. <laughs> there is no question about that. That's right. Okay, our last question tonight before we get to the 2002 Notre Dame baseball players. Kyle Brandt of the NFL Network is planning his brother's bachelor party in October. So his brother wants to go to a college football game with great tailgating, all the atmosphere, and all that kind of stuff. So there are four games that they narrowed it down to. LSU, and these are all October because, I, you know, that's like when he's getting married. So LSU at Florida, Auburn at Ole Miss, Alabama at Tennessee, and Clemson at Florida State. So which of those four would you pick? You know, I actually had a hard time with this one because there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it. You know, are you looking for the best matchup? Are you looking for the best tailgating? Are you looking for the best fans per se? Like what? What is it that you're actually looking for to make this thing happen? So for me, I'm going for the best tailgating because if you want the best matchup, I don't. Maybe, honestly, maybe I'm LSU, sure. Florida. Yeah, that know. might be the best matchup, but I don't want to have anything to do with LSU. So I'm going to say no to LSU. I'm yep. going to. I don't want to have anything to do with Tennessee after this past weekend. So I'm going to say no to Alabama, Tennessee. I don't know what the tailgating situation is at Florida State. I I mean, there definitely be some eye candy and some fun stuff to do down in Florida. There's no question (laughs) about that. I'm going to Auburn at Ole Miss. I've heard a lot of really good good things things. about Ole Miss. That's right. About Ole Miss. And I think 
that that is a beautiful campus. I would love to see it in person. I think the rivalry of Auburn Ole Miss is a good one. I think the tailgating would be good. I can be good. I'm going to Auburn Ole Miss. I think that's the, that's the pick for me. I'm completely in there with you as well. You know, like the other three places, because you're at Florida, at Tennessee, at Florida State. I don't think any of those do anything. Like you said, you don't want anything to do with LSU, you know, and the Brian Kelly connection. I get that. But I would actually like to go, you know, to a night game, Death Valley and all that stuff at LSU sometimes. So if like the venue was switched, I think that I would pick LSU. And I, you know, so I'm going to go with Ole Miss as well. You know, the, the Auburn at Ole Miss. I think that's a pretty good matchup. Lane Kiffin, all that, and supposedly the tailgating scene. You know, even though you know Ole Miss is just kind of finally coming into some actual on-field success right. in college football, I, I think that's the way to go. I would go to Ole Miss as well. Yeah, yeah, and getting to see the sideshow of the head coach at Ole Miss—that's not a bad, you know, <laughs> backup as well. So I, I like that one a lot and it is a good chance it's a night game so that could be a lot of fun all day long on the yeah and i mean like when you look at because the, the first thing i did was like well are there any other games in october that i would go to and i mean there aren't any marquee you know like the notre right. dame there aren't any marquee at no notre dame is what i'm saying like notre dame clemson's november 5th i thought it was yeah, in october exactly. but it's exactly. november so i can't they gotta scratch that off the list there's the home games in in october for Notre Dame are not as appealing as any of the games that you mentioned. I mean, you're talking what UNLV Stanford. Those are the home right. games in October. Exactly. That's a hard pass. Exactly. <laughs> if Clemson was at Notre Dame. Yeah. You know, in terms of the matchup, not as good. Now the scenery, you know, just in terms of like oh, fall yeah. at Notre Dame and the leaves and all that stuff. Like if you time your, your, you know, your trip to town sure. for a game when the leaves are just right. You know, that's that's the time to be there regardless of who it is. But, no doubt. You know, like, obviously, if it was USC this year, that would be a lot better than, yes. than Stanford. But, yeah. All right, Vince. Well, appreciate it. As always, I'm going to be uh, – uh, got a show coming up tomorrow. I'm going to be heading out tomorrow for Omaha, though. So, Vince won't be here tomorrow. You lucky But uh, appreciate the last three days. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well. I'll see if I can bring you something back. I'll try to freeze some ice cream for you. There's a really good Zestos. If, you, if anyone's going to, to Omaha, there's a little soft serve ice cream place right down the street from the ballpark called Zestos. They used to have one uh, when it was up at Rosenblatt, and it's like they've got great shakes and malts and ice cream and all that. The last time so. you were at the College World Series, I believe you brought me a T-shirt. I, I may think, have. I think you brought me a T-shirt, and – I, you got me a baseball from the Field of Dreams. I have that as well. So those are two two items that I've gotten from Sean Styers. All right. That All right. I, the ba- I'm looking at the baseballs right there. So. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks, Vince. I will talk to you later. You bet. I'll talk to you later, Sean. Sounds good. All right. So, uh, oops. So what we're going to do now is we are going to relive, you know, of course, Notre Dame is back in the College World Series this year after a 20-year absence. The last time they were there, 2002, the three guests that I've got coming up, they played a, they were the comeback in the ninth inning as Notre Dame came from behind to beat the Rice Owls in a walk-off win, a home run by Brian Stavisky. So I'm going to bring in my three guests right now, and we are going to relive that bottom of the ninth that will be celebrated 20 years ago on Friday. 
This month marks the 20th anniversary of Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. And that group, of course, was the first Irish team to get to the College World Series in 45 years. More specifically, June 17th marks the 20th anniversary of Notre Dame's come from behind win over number one ranked Rice at the College World Series. It was a do or die elimination game. And we've got the three guys who were the main contributors to that ninth inning comeback in Omaha, Rosenblatt Stadium in the College World Series. Guys, I've had all three of you on at different points over the years, but by yourself. So this is the first time we've tried something like this, having you all together. This is pretty cool to kind of see your faces all together. Glad to have you here today. I'll do the formal introductions in just a second, but glad to have you uh, all uh, with us today. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks, Sean. All right. So, so let's let's go through the uh, like I said the formal introductions. We'll just start at the top of the order. Notre Dame's leadoff man. He was batting 442 with a 1056 OPS going into the College World Series. An All-American. He was drafted by the Oakland A's about a week before uh, the World Series. He of course is the center fielder Steve Stanley. How are we doing today, Steve? It's great to see you guys. It's great to be here. It is, it's a little funny doing this on video. I've never, uh, you know, I'm used to doing it on radio, but it's great seeing. That's you right. Guys. It's great. Great to see you, Sean. And, you know, everybody has aged well. My parents, when we came up for the uh, the 20th anniversary weekend, my, my, my mom just kept saying, everybody lost weight. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's incredible. I mean, everybody's you are. You're a very good. <laughs> You're a very in-shape crew, though. I was pretty <laughs> impressed, you know. So, all right. Next, we've got the two-hole hitter. He was leading the entire nation with a 7-14 average in the NCAA tournament entering the College World wow. Series. He was a sophomore that season, drafted by Milwaukee two years later after his senior season at Notre Dame. Steve Solman is with us. How are you, Steve? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Just sitting in uh, in an office on campus as we speak uh, in the, in the uh, development office here at Notre Dame awesome. where I work. And of course, you are both Steves, so I'm probably you know I usually just call you Steve when I talk. I'm just we're, we're probably just going to have to go Solman and Stanley, you know, just to differentiate as we go through this thing. That'll be that, that'll be that'll be good because that's what they call us on the team too. So. That's true. That's very true. All right, and uh, last but not least, the number three batter for the Fighting Irish, who uh, led the Irish with eight home runs going into that game in Omaha, second most RBIs with 54 on the season, an OPS for the season of 1136, also drafted by the Oakland A's that year, Mr. Brian Stavisky. How are you, Brian? Good, Sean. Thanks for having me, and it's great to be on with Steve and Steve and uh, talking about 20 years ago and what we did, you know, with that great run. That's exactly right. And so what we're going to do, we're going to go through, got some of the, 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 you know, the radio clip, basically the entire inning. We're going to go through it, get your thoughts on it. Uh, you know, again, we, I, I haven't tried something like this before, but I thought it would be a lot of fun with this being the 20th anniversary and everything. So I guess just to start with, though, let's just go around the horn. And I, I guess we can just, you know, since we got the batting order, you know, just any time I throw it up, you know, you can you can just go in batting order, I guess. But, you know, just any like your 
going into that game, again, it's an elimination game, College World Series. You had lost your opener to Stanford two days before that, but you were coming off the big wins, you know, at the Super Regional over Florida State a week before that. Just your, you know, thoughts, feelings, emotions, whatever you had going into that elimination game against Rice that day. Well, I would tell you the first thing that that I always think about is in the four years that I played at Notre Dame, um, these guys were with me the entire time. It, we had never gone to and out ever. So, you know, there there was something built in us where we, we just knew we were going to give even, an even better effort the second game than we did in the first. And I think there was also, you know, some jitters in that first game. All of us, you know, it was our first time at the World Series playing in, in front of 25,000 fans. I, I had never played in, in anything like that, and I don't know if these guys had either, but I can tell you it was the only place I'd ever played that felt like I was in a football game environment like a, at Notre Dame Stadium. And so there was some jitters, I think, for everybody. And uh, we knew that, you know, in the second game, we were going to give really just an, an, a great effort. And we, we felt confident. Yeah, I mean, I, I would echo everything that Steve said. Coach Maneri always talked about that. I, I remember going back to, you know, I was only a sophomore at that point, but even freshman year in the regionals and, and the in the Big East tournaments and, and things like that, Coach just always saying, like, hey, we never go to and out. Like, that's just not in our DNA. Um, so having that confidence, you know, feeling good. I mean, going up against the number one team in the country again for the, the fourth time in five games, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was only a ranking at that point. And I think we all knew that it, everybody was as good as everybody else. And it just uh, came down to putting up some good at-bats and, and getting a good outing from Niesel and and just doing what we knew we could do and, and, and getting the W. Yeah, you know, and just like they said, I, th I think, you know, one of the things that was a big, you know, it was exciting, but it was new for us to go to Omaha, um, even all the way through, um, you know, the regional that we hosted, then going to Tallahassee, even though we played Florida State and they were number one, it was just, you know, on a college campus. And even though it was in their house, and then, you know, we all have seen Omaha and we, we grew up wanting to go and play there. But I think that was a little bit, you know, just getting there and seeing, you know, what it was like, you know, and then trying to play, you know, against all these other top teams. You know, we played a good first game, even though we came up, I think, one run short against Stanford. So we knew yeah. we, we could play with anyone. We beat Florida State to get there and we played a good game against Stanford and we had a challenge against Rice. But um, kind of like we always talked about in the tournaments, not going to and out. And we knew like we could play with and beat anybody at that point. So it was just a matter of getting out there and, and doing it. And in that case, it was a elimination game. So we wanted to just keep playing and stay there, you know, in the World Series as long as we could. Yeah. Oh. Sean, Sean, it's amazing to me, too, that these guys, I knew that the guys that I went to school with were bright. But Solman mentioning that it was the fourth out of fifth game we played. And I didn't I didn't know any of these details. The number one. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. It's incredible. These guys are so smart. I will say that I had to go back and check out on something. Like, I was literally listening to the game five minutes before I jumped on this call. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but, I mean, you get to that, that that point of the season in the, the teams that this year, you know, you get to Omaha, and, and every year, like, the teams that are still playing, you're going to be playing top-ranked teams every game, you know, and for us, it happened to be three games against number one Florida State and then against a good Stanford team and then – against Rice, even though they had lost, they had been moved up to number one. So, 
you know, at that point, it's like you can't play anybody any better. And we beat some of them. So it was just a matter of going out and playing the best we could. And we knew we could do it. Yeah. Well, and to your points, you know, like I, I've listened to, to to some of those games as well since I, you know, dug them up and, and found them. And I was listening to that first Stanford game, which I don't think I had ever listened to since then. But, you know, you lost a one run game. You guys had 10 hits in wow. that game just you know couldn't quite string right. you know get a string of things going javi had the the home run yeah. in that game to get you on the scoreboard and you know you're right in there and that's jeremy yeah. guthrie yeah. you know as a first round draft pick you know both of these guys that that you you faced in in succession were you know big league pitchers first round draft picks so you didn't go up against any slouches that's for sure that's crazy i didn't realize we had 10 hits you know um yeah, we gave them everything that they that they had too. You know, and it wasn't it was a close ball game. I do think I was a little bit of a deer in the headlights. At, at, at <laughs> I mean, it was you know. I mean, and also you know, think about this too, guys. I mean, I don't know if this crossed your mind at all, but playing on national television, you know, I mean, that was something that was new for all of us, you know, really, yeah. and, and that was pretty big too. So, yeah, all right, cover games leading up to it like they do now, and that was Very really true. what you had to get there to really be on the national stage and. Yeah. You're right. The whole atmosphere, national TV. I'm sure you know it did. That first game made it a little tougher. Second game, we could just more relax and play. Yeah. So let's go back. We're going to go through. I've got seven clips here that we're going to uh, to get through on, and we'll kind of you know pause it down and and talk a little bit about each one. So here we are. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. Notre Dame trailing Rice three to two in this elimination game. June seventeenth, two thousand two, at the College World Series, and uh, here is how the inning starts. Tanders still on the mound for Rice. There are a pair of right-handers warming up right now for the number one ranked Owls in the bullpen down the right field line. Paul Maneri having a final chat with Joe Thaman before Joe steps into the batter's box. It's Thaman from the ninth spot in the order, then Steve Stanley. And Steve Solman, Notre Dame trailing 3-2. to two. The Irish have come from behind 21 times to win this year. Can they do it for a 22nd time? They lost by a run to Stanford in their first game of the College World Series in 45 years Saturday afternoon by a final of 4-3. to three. Rice is here after a 2-1 to one loss to Texas. But now the Irish are down to their final three outs. Called strike to Joe Thaman, 0-1. Joe is... 0 for 3 today, has grounded out twice and has struck out. Crowder into the windup, and the pitch to Thaman, breaking ball for a strike, 0 and 2. Joe grounded out to second base to end the second. He struck out starting the fourth, grounded out to first for the second out of a 1 2 3 6. The 0 2, breaking ball, chopped to first, taken by Sinisi on a bat off. He races to first to get the out, one away. Okay, so that's how the inning starts. Again, Joe is the number nine batter. Steve Stanley back at the top of the order. Solman and then Brian Stavisky if anybody gets on. And I should mention now, you know, talking about the pitchers, Justin Crowder, uh, he came in in relief. Their, their starting pitcher, Philip Umber, who was a first-round draft pick the next year and actually pitched in the clinching game of the 2003 College World Series, he really struggled early on didn't have a lot of control walk some guys i believe he hit a batter what, what did you guys see from umber in his i think it was two and two-thirds innings on the mound well he threw incredibly hard you know we knew going in that they had 
the two big horses at the top. And, you know, really our pers- from our perspective, it was we got to get on base, rattle them a little bit, get to them early. And um, I thought the guys did a fantastic job. I struggled that entire game getting on base, but I think – everyone on the team, you know, really, really responded well to that challenge. And, you know, it was, uh, we, again, we gave him all he could handle. And I think that we saw a ton of pitches and that probably contributed him to have him having to come out of the game. Yeah. I think, I think that's, uh, was the biggest piece is us just putting up good at bats. Um, you know, personally, although Crowder had had a ton of success that year and hadn't given up many, many runs at all. I don't, I don't know if he'd given up a run in, in the, in the, uh, in the tournament, but uh, I mean, he was the type of pitcher that I enjoyed hitting against, you know, I'm sitting there just slicing balls, slapping balls the other way, <laughs> just waiting for a changeup or something. Um, so I, it was, it was definitely more comfortable for me than a guy up there throwing 98 or 96, whatever Humber was throwing at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so I think just those 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 good abs early on, um, making sure we saw a ton of pitches, and then trying to get to to uh, a pitcher that at least for me was a little bit more in my comfort zone was was critical. Yeah, I think good at bats, and then that you know that we we got a couple runs on the board, um, and our pitching and in, in defense to hold them to three, you know, and keep the game close. So I think that that was the biggest thing is that we were still right in it at the end. Um, where it wasn't a real huge comeback that we had to try to, you know, to mount. Um, so I, definitely their whole team, like like I said, at that point, they're all going to throw hard or, th- or throw strikes or be really good. And, you know, we knew, like, he, he, what I remember is he threw hard. And, and I think that, you know, I think I may have uh, had a, a strikeout or two or grounded out. And I remember I wasn't having the best game hitting, um, but – it was tough. They were good. And, yeah. and what was the good thing was that we had good at bats and we got a couple runs and we were right in the game all the way till the end, you know, and where we had that final chance. Brian, where we are right now, again, there's, there's one out bases empty. You're down by a run. So Stanley and Solman coming up for you to come to the plate. One of these two guys has to get on base, obviously. So what are you, what, what's kind of your thought process at that point with Stanley coming up to the plate? Well, for me, it, it's just we're down one. We, we just got to get a run to tie it to keep the game going. You know, I wasn't really thinking about winning it or or I was just thinking about how can we get a run to tie it. And, you know, if you need to get a run and, and have a couple guys to hit in front, of, like, you know, between Stanley and Solman, I knew, like, we we're going to go down swinging. If they get us, like, it's with our best. So um, for and I was just thinking of if one of them gets on base, I'm going to get up. And I haven't had that great a game, so I'll have another chance to maybe do something to help us. Um, but it, it was more of just let's see who, if one of these guys or both can get on base and, you know, let the, the inning play out here. But that's kind of what I was thinking is that, yeah, I'm going to get up, but someone has to get on base first. There's like a thousand points of uh, on base percentage coming up in front of you, though. So, <laughs> like right. you said, you've got a pretty good shot of somebody of one of these two. You know, Steve's. You know, like I said, Solman's batting seven fourteen. Stanley's got a you know an above five hundred on base percentage all year. I think all three of you guys did for that matter. But so let's go now. There's one out, bases empty, and here comes Steve Stanley, Notre Dame's. All-American leadoff batter stepping into the batter's box at Rosenblatt Stadium. 
for the ninth inning, and Steve Stanley coming up. The All-American 0 for 4 today. Steve needs just one at-bat to reach 1,000 for his career, but more importantly, he just wants to get on right now. He represents the tying run with Notre Dame trailing 3-2 to two with one out, nobody on in the bottom of the ninth inning. Stanley grounded out in his first two at-bats. He's flied out in his last two. Thinking about a bunt, it was a high fastball. It's a strike, and they're trying to say Stanley was out of the batter's box. They appealed to third, and the umpire said no. Kevin Doherty, the third base umpire, 0-1, or 1-0, rather, to Stanley. They're actually appealing that he went around, so it's 2-0. As I said, the important thing right now is just that Stanley gets on. Third baseman, Hunter Brown, up in front of the bag. 2-0 the count to Stanley. Steve takes a fastball inside, and it's 3-0. Three straight balls to Steve Stanley. Three to two, Rice on top of Notre Dame with one out in the bottom of the ninth inning. The 3-0, fastball in there at the belt, three and one. Steve Solman and Brian Stavisky right behind Steve Stanley. Notre Dame has scored just twice. They've managed just six hits today. 3-1, fastball for a strike, and the count now full. All right, so we go from 3-0 to start the at-bat, and the next thing you know, it's a full count. So uh, how quickly does your mindset change there, Mr. Stanley? Oh, goodness. I mean, you know, you can tell. <laughs> so I, I had forgotten that I even tried to bunt the first pitch. I mean, yeah. you know, when, you, when you've gone 0 for 4 in a game and now you're facing a guy who hasn't given up a run, like Soli said, in the entire tournament, he's got a pretty good slider. He's lefty-lefty for me. So, And he's he's what we call a thumber. You know, he's like – you know, 84, 86, he doesn't throw very hard. Maybe his fastball was 89, but, but uh, breaking stuff was definitely trying to get you out in front of the ball. So um, I'm thinking, especially when he goes 3-0, I'm going, okay, I'm getting on base. We got the next, <laughs> we got the best guys coming up. I'm on base. So it's all we, all we need is a chance, you know? Right. And um, then he goes strike one. And, and of course, I'm, I don't even have to look down at third base. It's a take. It's a take all the way, right? I'm not, not going to hit the ball out of the park. You know, there's no. So I'm not even. I don't even have to look down. I mean, he gives me the take sign, but it's you know I already knew it. I was going to take it anyway. So <laughs> most guys, you know, you know, you get in that situation if it's Solman or if it's Stavisky up there. I want you hitting a double or a home run, right? I'm up there. And, hey, get on base, take another strike. And in my case too, like I knew that he didn't throw hard enough to be able to throw one by me. So I was just as good with two strikes as I one with was was with one. So that's that's where I was at. You know, we get well, to three two. Yeah. And Paul Maneri told me that, you know, it gets to three two and then you kind of step out and like you're cinching up your you know your your batting gloves and he's like, all right, this is gonna be good. You know, he it's is that kind of is that kind of the, it sounds like that's sort of the feeling that you had you know anybody anybody who knows me knows that, that that is that is what i was made for those situations i mean like i so a lot of guys they'll struggle in situations like that because it's more nerve-wracking for whatever reason i just kind of that's the stuff i love and so when when it was that situation it's almost like okay here we go right and we're, when we're ready so so I didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but I can promise you if I was going to go down, I was going down swinging and I, and I was not going to let him throw one by me. So in the meantime, you know, again, you've got Solman on deck. Stavisky is in the hole over there. And again, this is a guy at, at this point, you've seen him a couple times and now 
he's already thrown what five pitches to Stanley. You know what? What do you what are you seeing from him? Are you feeling you know pretty good? But you know, based on the fact that you've seen a lot of pitches from him already at that point. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was feeling good. I, like Steve said, they got the three Oh and I was like, okay, Steve's going to get on base. And I, I mean, it didn't really change the situation for me much. Like I right. was, I knew I was going to have an important at bat no matter what, whether there was nobody on, whether there was two guys on, it was either going to be a sack bunt or, um, or for me, it was just going to be about putting the ball in play and, and putting the ball in play hard. Yeah, and I think then to get to me, you know, what I'm thinking is I'm watching these guys and, and watching the pitches, and we'd already faced him once, I think, or maybe twice from when he came in. So, you know, that definitely helped, too, that it wasn't the ninth inning, and this is the first time we're seeing this guy as, like, a closer, Yeah, is that, that we're facing him the set, you know second or even third time, you know, in the game, and, you know, we're starting to get more comfortable, you know, with seeing his pitches and knowing what he, what he had. And it, it's it's interesting too because I think in a typical situation, if he if he wasn't going to be facing three out of four lefties, his first four batters, yeah, they would have gone to the bullpen. You know, right, they, right. It, I think they said at the beginning they had two righties warming up, and I'm sure. I think one of them, solely one of them was was Ardsma, right? Was I mean, he had yeah, a exactly. long career, you know, and yeah, yeah. he threw like a hundred. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really grateful I was surrounded by a bunch of lefties in the lineup. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Great point. Never really, you know, even thought of it that way. But there were, yeah, two right-handers warming up down there. Okay, so it's three and two to Steve Stanley. Again, Notre Dame is down by a run, bottom of the ninth inning, and uh, the base is empty. Let's uh, let's see if this at-bat ends up. It, it just might have been good. I don't know. Let's find out. Five Saturday afternoon. But it's now just two for nine at this College World Series. Three and two the count. Grounder from the windup. Payoff pitch is going to be fouled back and out of play. So Stanley stays alive by fouling off the three and two pitch from Crowder. Crowder, who transferred to Rice from TCU just prior to this year. Three and two to Stanley. The wind from Crowder. Another payoff and another ball fouled back and out of play on the third base side. Steve Solman in the on-deck circle. The wind picking up again as it zips out toward left center field. College World Series in Omaha. 3-2, Rice on top of Notre Dame with two outs and nobody on in the bottom of the ninth. Another payoff to Stanley. This one getting back to right center field. Turn on the jet, Steve Stanley. Back to the wall it goes. Stanley rounding second, heading for third. Steve Stanley will slide in safely with a one-out triple. And Notre Dame has the tying run at third base as Steve Stanley gives Pulmonary a high five as he gets in there. So that picture, for those watching on the YouTube stream, that picture of Pulmonary hugging Steve Stanley, that is, like, I I went, you know, and I tried to find the you know pictures of you guys that I could that is the actual aftermath of the triple at third base and uh Steve you know, Paul looked like he was holding on to you for dear life at that point <laughs> I, I think both of us were kind of in shock at the moment you know I, I I I don't know how many triples I had that year maybe two maybe two maybe one I don't know but it was one of those deals where uh you hit a ball and you just you, you kind of don't know where it's going to go or how it's going to end up, and you once you see it get in the gap, I mean you, 
if you watch the clip, I'm rounding first base and I, I feel like I'm floating on air, you know, just because I'm going, wow, you know, we got a chance here. That ball, right. the ball's down, you know, and of course, I wasn't even thinking about two, you know, for me, I was thinking if I can get on third base, Stevie's definitely going to get me in. There's no question about it. So, and it was a missile as well. Like it wasn't that high, but it was a missile yeah. to right center field, just the way it, it took off. Yeah, well, and the thing about it was he got me out in front. It was one of those deals where I hit, yeah. off, I hit, I hit the pitch off my front foot because uh, the way I hit, I had a double tap. And so if a guy threw a breaking ball, a lot of times if I wasn't balanced, I'd hit off my front foot. And in that case, it was, it was a pitch on the outside corner. I was just trying to get my bat on it, and it happened to be that they were playing – they were obviously playing their center fielder in left center field because, you know, for a guy like me, Especially thinking I'm going to yeah. go two strikes, I'm going to go the other way. And it just happened to be kind of placed perfectly. And so, um, yeah, I mean, when I when I came into third base, <laughs> he grabbed onto me. And I think we were both like we, we were both kind of thinking, man, we got we got a shot here. We, we, we got a shot. Do you remember anything he said when you got in there? <laughs> you know what? That's funny. No one's ever asked me that question. I don't remember. I mean, it was, it was like it was one of those things where we were both kind of in shock and uh yeah, I mean, you're just kind of in the moment. And and that, for me, was the loudest I'd ever, you know, I'd ever heard uh, yeah. in a stadium that we played in. So it was pretty crazy. Yeah. And true story, a few years ago, someone I kind of, you know, somewhat familiar with but didn't really know, they, they knew who I was. They walk up to me, and the first thing out of their mouth was, turn on the jet, Steve Stanley. <laughs> And he was he was listening, you know, driving down the road, you know, while that game was going on. I thought that was that was pretty cool that he remembered that line because this has only been, you know, maybe like five, six years ago, something like that. So, you know, that that had been a while. But uh, so so he was listening and, you know, there were there were other people, uh, you know, who have told me, uh, you know, they were listening to, to what, you know, might be coming up here in uh, in just a minute. But I thought that was pretty cool to hear that. Now, so now Solman, you're coming up, one out, tying run at third base. You're 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 coming up to the plate. We're gonna get to that in just a second. I just realized that I wanted to talk real quickly about something else first, and and you'll hear it here in this clip. And what has become his one thousandth career at bat at Notre Dame with a triple in his biggest at-bat of his career. Notre Dame facing elimination, trailing 3-2 to two, with one out of here in the bottom of the ninth inning. And now Steve Stanley at third base for the Fighting Irish, representing the tying run and the best batter of the NCAA postseason, Steve Solman, coming up with a chance to bring him in. Rice will bring in the infield. And how big now does that suicide squeeze with the runner thrown out at the plate become? Okay, so that's what I want to talk about. Rice's attempted suicide squeeze. And Solman, you're the only infielder of the crew. And I had kind of forgotten about that, you know, until I, you know, I heard this a couple of years ago that, yeah, Rice tried to squeeze home an insurance run in the top of the ninth inning. You guys got him out at the plate. Do you, what, what do you remember about that? I mean, I, I just remember the fact that we never had a bunt play ever at, at Notre Dame. I mean, it was always like, Hey, get the out at first, just get the uh, out at first. No so way. I'm like, yeah, it was, that's, that's just the way we did things. I was like, yeah, yeah. all right. 
Um, and so I was just heading over to first as all, like, I, I guess it wasn't surprising that they would try to squeeze one across and, and, and you, yeah. So I, the bunt goes down and I do, I remember it being like a hard bunt. Like it was not a great bunt. Like it went right. literally right back to JP. Yep. Um, but I was still going to first assuming like, all right, we always get the out at first, but if there's ever a time not to try to get the out at first, that was it. And, and I think that was a part of coach Maneri's trust in us. Like, I think he always just knew if there was a situation where getting out at first didn't make sense. And, and there was a chance to take that. We were good enough ball players, smart enough ball players to make that decision. Um, so, you know, it didn't shock me that JP made the play. Uh, it definitely didn't shock me that Paul was put Paul O'Toole was putting his entire body in front of home plate <laughs> to not no even let, not even let that that runner from third score. Um, but it was I do rem- like it was huge. Like to go into the dugout down just one run as opposed to two. That you know the crooked number just seems a little bit more difficult to to stomach yeah. when you when you're going into the dugout and, and it's your last step at. Absolutely. But again, now, okay, so you're coming up. Stanley's at third base with one out. You were 20 for 28 in the regional and super regionals combined. Uh, You know, so going into Omaha, 20 for 28 in the tournament. Had had the baseball, had it ever looked that big in your life? I I can only imagine. Never before, never since. Uh, (laughs) Although it didn't look like once we got to Omaha, though, it didn't look quite as big. Uh, A little blurrier. Yeah, yeah, a little smaller. Um, But it, uh, yeah, it was for me, one, I wasn't necessarily thinking that Steve would be on third. Like I I wasn't expecting a triple. I was expecting like, okay, he's going to either get on. But again, it didn't really change my my thought process except for that now I just have a lot of other ways that I can get him in and I just yeah. need to make sure that if I get a pitch to hit that I don't let it go by and and have to look down at third and see coach Maneri like shaking his head <laughs> like, oh you let a fastball go by like what are you doing uh <laughs> so I uh I mean he stressed he stressed getting runners in from third with less than two outs more uh-huh, than yeah. anybody I played for um so it was more just okay. Take a deep breath, slow down the heart as much as you can, and and just um, and and like sit back again. The like, same thing with Steve was saying. Like I, I was confident that Crowder wasn't able going to be able to like blow one by me, and you know, so he ended up throwing me a change up, and and I was lucky. I was playing with the metal bat, yep. and and I was able to to get a good piece of the barrel on it, and it and it got up the middle. We'll hear that here in just a second. But, Brian, you know now that you're going to get to bat. Unless something absolutely just catastrophic happens with one out and Solman coming up, you know you're going to get to hit. You're stepping into the on-deck circle behind him. So what's what's kind of your thought process over there? Well, I guess I'm probably thinking, you know, that, you know, Steve's going to get get him in. You know, this is probably going to be a, a tie game. Um, pressure's kind of falling off a little, you know, from going to – you know, hey, this this is going to be, you know, a tough situation, or it might be two outs, and and we're still down one, and now it's a, a chance to come up there, and you know, with the way Steve was swinging, you know, he's going to have a good at bat, and he's probably going to get him in. So, you know, if it's tied, then what do I do? 
you know, right. so that's kind of where I went. I went from thinking like, okay, I'm probably going to get up maybe with two outs and have to try to tie or, or maybe win the game versus now it's, hey, you know, we're in a great position. You know, Steve's going to knock, you know, Steve in and, you know, and then at that point it's tied and then I'll see what I can do, you know, after that. So right. it definitely just getting that triple and getting that on third base with one out it just was so huge in changing the bat for Steve to have more options and probably feel more relaxed and the same for me being on deck after him. All right. So Notre Dame's down three to two still Steve Stanley standing at third base after that triple. And here comes Steve Solman. Wide one and oh. Solman one for three is Steve Stanley with the fourth triple of his all-American senior campaign now at third with the Irish down three to two. Solman lines it up the middle and the game is tied. Here comes Steve Stanley. Solman brings him home. We're tied at three in a brand new ball game. Steve Solman with a 47th RBI of his sophomore season links the All-American Steve Stanley three to three. And now the winning run at first base for Notre Dame with Brian Stavisky coming up. Two straight hits by Stanley and Solman. A triple to right center field. And Solman with a line shot up the middle to bring home Stanley. And again, this guy had locked you guys up for the you know better part of five innings. And then in the span of three pitches, a triple, RBI single, boom. The game is tied now in the ninth inning. Uh, any questions, Steve? Biggest hit of your life? Solman? Uh, no. Yeah, that was <laughs> – that's a no question right there. Um, yeah, like I said, I w- – and I wasn't a guy that was – I was just trying to put the ball and play hard. I wasn't – I'm not a guy that's like, hey, I need to hit a fly ball here. Right. Um, infield was in, but still um, was just trying to, to hit the ball in a line somewhere, and and uh, and I felt comfortable. You know, I'd had I'd put up some good at bats against Crowder prior to that, and just wanted to to focus. Stanley, what what was that dugout like when you got back to the dugout when you tie it up? Insane. I mean, we were it was electric, man. I mean, the crowd to me, there was no doubt in my mind we were winning that game. You got Brian coming up, Stevie's on first. Now, all the momentum shifted, and I didn't think Brian was going to hit one out. I mean, I, 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 like that was. You know, that wasn't on my mind, but you're thinking, okay, all the momentum. Now we only got one out. We got our best power hitter coming to the plate. We're in a great position. And yeah, I think all the, everybody felt that way. All of our fans felt that way. And definitely within the dugout, um, everything changed. I mean, talk about momentum changing that. Yeah, that, that was the right. momentum changer. And so, Brian, you just talked about your, your thought process, getting ready for your bat and all that stuff. And so now it's a tie game and you've got the winning run at, at first base. So it, 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 is your approach any different than, you know, if you're, if you're coming up and you're still down by a run, I guess. Well, I think, I think that, you know, I'd like to say it'd be the same, but um, it definitely, you know, helped to get in that run and then tie in the game when you go up and it's tied already, you can be a little more confident and aggressive, you know, that you can do something to now try to win the game you know, uh, versus that you still have to try to tie it, tie it or win it. So, you know, that was, you know, like for me, almost a, a relief, but at the same time, 
I think, like I said, I think I was 0 for 4 at that time, a couple strikeouts, I think a fielder's choice, yeah. ground out. And, you know, we tied the game. We were back in it. And I was due to have a good at bat. So for me, that's what it was more about was, you know, it wasn't thinking about, you know, like a home run or, or anything. I was thinking like he's on base. We'd already had like at the end of the Big East tournament, I hit a ball down the left field line yeah. and I scored from first. That's that right. The Same guy at first base. Yeah. So there's lots of ways, you know, that, that, you know, I could get a hit and the next guy could get a hit and we could get him in. So once we tied it, it definitely was a relief to have that pressure off that we're still playing no matter what. And now we can go be more aggressive and try to try to win the game right now uh, while we had the momentum going, you know, and, and that's what we ended up doing. Solman at first base, 3-3 game now. Here comes Stavo. He taps it back behind the plate. Ryan is 0 for 4 today with a couple of strikeouts. He reached on a fielder's choice and scored back in the third inning. He grounded out to shortstop in his last at bat of the seventh. Bowman at first, he'll have a tough time trying to run with a left-hander out there. Stavisky fouls it back and out of play on the third base side, 0-2. Andy Bushy in the on-deck circle for Notre Dame. Stavisky playing without that face mask that he's worn all year here today. 0-2 the count to him. And continuing to blow toward left center. 3-3 three three the score. Steve Solman with a lead at first for the Irish. And Crowder now steps off. Steve Stanley with a one-out triple to right center field. Scoring two pitches later is Steve Stan- uh, Steve Solman lining home. Stavisky takes a fastball high, one and two. Okay, so one and two. He went with a fastball, uh, and I'll get I'll get to that here in a second. But I mentioned that football face mask. You had been you you were hit by a pitch, I believe, against West Virginia, like what late March, something like that, and you had fractured a bone. You know, so you'd been wearing actually a football face mask, and that was. The first time since then, that game, the first time that you hadn't worn the face mask. So just kind of tell everybody the story of why the face mask came off that day. Well, you know, like you said, it started back, you know, against West Virginia, getting hit in the face with a fastball and, um, you know, being Notre Dame in the football school that it is, <laughs> you know, that, that they took my batting helmet and put a quarterback face mask on it. So that way I could come back and play you know, not risk getting my face hurt or hit again. I could be back playing sooner. So it was definitely different having a football face mask on a batting helmet, but that's how, you know, I was able to come back and, and play and, and I just kind of got used to it. And at that point, I really didn't need to wear it by the postseason, probably by the Big East tournament or the regional or super regional, you know, but I just got so used to it. And it was kind of a unique thing that I just kept going with it. And it kept working, you know, for us as the year went on. So, but um, they were so big on checking equipment, you know, at (laughs) at Omaha. And it started to get a crack from all the times having to pull it, like pull it out farther to get it over my head and ears with the mask on it. It started to crack. So I just decided to, hey, let's not risk it with me going up and the umpire saying, hey, your helmet's cracked. So I think I borrowed Brent Weiss's helmet and um wore that you know number 18 instead of 19 and um so it was something i i I didn't need to wear that mask anymore but i had been wearing it just because i was used to it and it was kind of good luck so but i took it off that day and um 
it really wasn't, you know, that big of a, a difference. Um, and I think at that point you're just focused on at bats and yeah. getting the job done and, and, and playing a good game. Um, Cause at that level, you know, you're so focused on the baseball that whether you got a mask on or not, you're not even thinking about it. You're just thinking about hitting the ball, fielding the ball, what, what you're trying to do. So, but that's the story of, you know, with, with that, that season, most of the season wearing that helmet with that football face mask after getting hit in the face yeah. and wearing it all the way through to the beginning of the World Series. Solman, I mentioned in that last cut, you're at first base and there is a lefty on the mound and you're the winning run as well. Is there any, are you thinking about going at all or, or what's going on there? I wasn't, I don't think I re- was really. Um, I think when you got somebody that, that has so much power. I, I didn't want to like not right. give him the opportunity. And, mm-hmm. and he, it's funny. He mentions the biggest tournament. Cause I, I remember thinking about that too, because in the biggest tournament, I was on first and that's how we won it. He hit one down the left field line and I, I scored from first. So in my mind, I'm just trying to make sure I, I get a good jump. Um, you know, I wasn't, I, I don't think I had any intentions of, of stealing at that point. Yeah. So Brian, it's one and two, and it was zero and two. He just went with a fastball up earlier in the bat or earlier in the game. uh, You know, obviously one two is an obvious curveball count, and I think he got you with the curveball earlier for your your strikeout. Are you are you pretty much sitting on breaking ball at this point? I think at that point, after seeing him a couple of bats and and. I think the first two pitches the at bat I think were curveballs that I fouled off or um, you know got for strike one and strike two and then you know he came back and tried to hit the outside corner with a fastball and luckily it was outside um, you know but I was looking away and and you know you mentioned in the the um, you know the broadcast about the left or the the wind kind of blowing out to left yeah. you know the wind was as always a big factor there and that's it produced a lot of home runs sometimes to right, sometimes straight out, sometimes to left. And I remember being a lefty and the wind was blown out to left, kind of across from right. You know, I wasn't thinking about home runs, but especially when the wind's blowing kind of in your face uh-huh. that you don't think about it. And that's what was such a, like a great thing, like where Steve hit his ball, he hit it hard enough to get in the right center field gap through the wind. And, you know, for me though, back to the, the curveball, I'm down one, two, He's already thrown me a few curveballs. I'm just trying to think, stay back. But I remember thinking, too, though, that that ball, the wind's carrying out to left, left center. Mm. You know, if I can stay back, I can drive one that way mm. is what I was thinking. Like, I can hit one hard that way in the gap, uh-huh. or I can even hit one out to, to left center. Yeah. So in a, in, in a way, I was thinking, like, stay back, try to go the other way. The wind will help me that way, you know, if I hit one good. So basically, that's what I was looking for. Um you know, and he came with it and like Steve was out in front, but he got the triple and Solomon was a little bit out in front of the change, but he hit that hard up the middle. And then I got the curveball and was out in front, but I'd seen enough and stayed back long enough that, that I got it. So, um, you know, it's funny how it all played out that we all adjusted and we all made it work three bat, three at bats in a row. Yeah. And it's funny how you mentioned, you know, the, how the wind changes there at Rosenblatt, because obviously it sat on top of that hill. So, you know, the wind was a lot more prominent. And I remember your practice day before the series started, like you guys were just depositing, but you know, the ball was just jumping off your bats in the practice day. And then I, if like you got to 
the Stanford game and it's carrying a lot differently that day and the balls aren't, you know, quite flying the same. And then, you know, like you said, you've got a, a wind that for a left-hand batter is not necessarily conducive to hitting one out to right field. I got a but, quick uh, story real quick, Sean. Yeah, go ahead. During that batting practice day, coach Mary, I, I, uh, I'm the first one to hit, right? So I go up there and I think I might've hit the first one out <laughs> And, and, he, and he, he stopped and he goes, all right, did you get that out of your system? <laughs> it's like, don't ever try to hit the ball out again. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And then for me too, like I said, I was down with two strikes. And at that point, you know, I was just trying to hit the ball hard. Like, let me just get a, get a good piece of one, uh-huh. you know, after being 0 for 4 and down to, you know, one one ball, two strikes. You know, at that point, I was just, let me do anything to get the bat on the ball solid here. And, uh, well, turns out you did. We're, we've come to our final cut. I think we all know what's coming up here, but we'll go ahead and play it anyway. Here we go with uh, the score tied 3-3 three to three against Rice at the College World Series. Four runs this year. That's the second most on this team. He also has eight home runs. Each team with three runs and eight hits. Notre Dame has committed one error. One and two the count to Stavisky. Crowder with the pitch. Breaking ball. Slam to right. That one going back. And it is. Out of the ballpark. Home run. Brian Stavisky. It's the ball game. And the Irish will play for another day. Brian Stavisky rounding the bases. There's So, uh, Stavo, the, the the floor is yours. How did it feel coming off your bat? Well, you know, it, it felt awesome, but it almost felt kind of like unreal, you know, that like Steve was saying, and it's funny, like the way he described his triple is exactly how I felt about this home run, that that he hit it and it just went, you know, out to right, right center. And it felt like he was just floating around the bases to get to third. And it was the loudest cheer that he'd ever heard and it was the same for me that you know I I connected and it felt like like nothing because I hit it hit it well but then it goes out and it's like and the game's over we won and I remember thinking like this is the loudest roar I've ever heard and I'm going around the bases and it feels like I'm not even touching the ground and then I, I I get around you know the bases and and coaches at third and then everyone's at home and it, it was definitely the the greatest feeling I've had on a baseball field. And, um, you know, it, it, it won the game and it, it kept us playing for another game. And, yep. um, but the, it's funny, like the way Steve described his triple is exactly the same way I felt about this hit with, you know, feeling like, you know, walking it's on air. Going around numb, the yeah. Yeah. Going numb. Like, like not like, can't believe that it just happened that I just did that. And, you know, the roar and, you know, it was almost like a dream, you know, did that really happen? And, um, and, and it was incredible. Like in the fact, in a matter of three batters to go from being down and, and almost out to tie game to winning the game. And, you know, and, and with, to be with this group of guys to pull that off against rice and at Omaha, you know, was the best feeling 
I've, I've ever had on a baseball field. And, and that gave us another chance, you know, to keep playing, you know, at least mm-hmm. one more game. Stanley and, and Solman, obviously you're, you're watching from different perspectives. Stanley, you're over in the dugout. Solman is at first base. So when, when that ball leaves his bat, what are you guys seeing? Did you think it was gone right away? Yeah. Uh, not only did I think it was gone, I mean, that ball was leaned on. I mean, he crushed <laughs> that thing. So to get one out in the wind to write that day, you had to be, you had to have some hair on your chest. And he, <laughs> that ball was crushed. So I'm telling you, you know, he, he's, he's kind of underscoring it, but that ball was crushed. So I, I always tell the story about Brian's first home run. And he hit it when, uh, when we were in Memphis, his freshman year. And I, you know, I was a sophomore and I, and I go, this guy's got different type of power. And then the other story I tell is that always the umpires would go through the line before the game and they would feel the bats and the roundness of the bat. So that if you had, if your bat was too flat, they would have to throw your bat out. I think they threw my bat out maybe once in 65 games. They threw Brian's bat out probably 25 times. <laughs> he was hitting with the cricket stick because he, he hit the ball so hard. And um, so, yeah, I mean, he, I was not expecting him to hit a ball out of the park. I was just celebrating that we had tied the game. And then right. all of a sudden now I'm, I'm celebrating, going from celebrating that we've tied it to now he just walked them off. And what an incredible feeling. Yeah, I was – I think going into the A-B, like, I I mean, we all knew Brian wasn't having his best day. And I was like, all right, just put together a good at-bat. Like, let's just put together a good at-B, a good A-B. I think – was it Bushy that was coming up after? Yeah, he was yep. on deck, um, yeah. Yeah, so, like – Let's just let's just keep it going. One to the next, yeah. one to the next. Um, and then he hit the ball. And my first thought was like, because it wasn't like he hit a towering bomb. Right. Like it was like I felt like it was 15 feet off the ground the entire way yeah. into the stands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my first, because I've never hit a ball like that or seen many hit like that. I uh, my first instinct was like, all right, like make sure you see it down and then get on your horse and see what we can do here. But then as I like, you know, because I remember turning around and taking a couple big hops, like, okay, where are we going to be? And then I was like, oh, that ball's way, I mean, that ball's gone. Like, this is, and then it's, um, yeah, I mean, just pandemonium, just pandemonium. From, from my perspective, you know, one, you know, you guys have talked about how the crowd there at the College World Series is so different. And it's obviously a bigger stadium than you're used to playing in, in college baseball. And What's what's cool about the way they they did it is each each radio team had its own broadcast booth. So everybody got their own booth, but there was glass, you know, between booths so you could see the people in the next booth. So I remember, you know, starting off, I'm sitting down, there's some people right to I'm sitting like up against the glass to my left and there's some people that I think they were Georgia Tech people if I remember right who have obviously was also there and so the ball is hit and i just remember standing up <laughs> and you know as it's going just because the, again the perspective is a little different so i really it was like it was almost like you know um uh joe buck yeah uh jack buck you know with with the with the gibson home run i don't believe what i just saw i didn't say that but that that was almost my feeling you know be, just because that perspective you know the way it just kept carrying it again the you know the the it was not supposed to be a a day conducive to hitting the ball out where Brian Stavisky got it and it was almost just like my head was exploding 
you know, when, when it happened. So it was, you, it was you amazing. And, you and word form were expressing what we all felt. I mean, that That's... was, <laughs> as you got increasingly louder, Sean, to, I mean, that was, that was exactly how we felt. I mean, you know, you did such a great job of conveying, going back and listening to these games, exactly really what the fans were feeling and what we were feeling on the field too. So. Yeah, it was, it was, I, when I talked to people about the college world series experience, um, I, I, I try to like, there's, there's points where it was like the, the, the Florida state super regional, like there's just something about being in front of whatever, 5,000, 6,000 yeah. mm-hmm. fans that are all cheering against you. Right. <laughs> like the noise that came in Florida state and just, yeah. it was nonstop, like their chance and all this stuff. And it was, it was just so intense. And then you get to the college world series and unless you're playing like Nebraska, a lot of it is just like people that are there just because they enjoy baseball. So it's right. like, oh, they don't really have a, a rooting interest a lot of times. And so it's not necessarily as, you know, loud. And But in that inning, it was the loudest I'd ever been at a, at a baseball game. And and um, and that just goes to show that, like, everybody could appreciate that excitement and how much fun and how incredible that was, whether you were – a a Notre Dame fan or a Georgia Tech fan waiting for the next game or or whatever. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brian, it struck me that all in regionals, one in super regionals, leading off the uh, Florida State. I think everyone makes Maybe I just had a little bit of a focus, a little more, and maybe things, and and um, didn't try to do too much. And that one against Florida State, I wasn't expecting that. I just got a good hanging curveball, and I swung, and it went out to right, and Florida State. Yep. You know, so in that. Trying to do something to do what, what you're doing. That's what happens. I 
all the levels that it's like this is supposed to be tough right? I just need to focus and keep it simple and things usually turn even better Stanley you mentioned Crowder Justin Crowder pitcher you guys were both drafted by Oakland so was he was either of you teams in the A's you know at least one both of you were yeah. yeah, we crossed paths in spring training. I never played on his team on his minor league games, but I always I felt so bad, you know. <laughs> I, I did, I, I did. I felt so bad walking, but he's the sweetest guy. Nice guy, you know. Just walk by. You know, we're thinking the same thing. I'm probably not going to go there and be see. Hey, you know, it's like it's like passing somebody at the water cooler. devastating for him so as as much as euphoric as it was for us i mean well unfortunately for him you know again like i did a lot of google searches trying to find you know some pictures specifically you know from that game if i could but even for him that i think is the only photo that came up you know other than maybe a headshot or something and you know so it's like if he Googles his name 20 years later, that's unfortunately, you know, what he's stuck. You know, it's great for you guys, but it's not so great for him. So, that's great. I, uh, that's you know, it is. go ahead, go ahead Stephen, and I'll, I'll say, go ahead. No, I just, I, I got a funny story about that as well. My brother-in-law got a new job like six or seven years ago at this company, and he was doing some, it was like a sales job, and there was salesmen all over the country, and he had a training that he had to go to to start it off. And, uh, and he's at this training and he starts to get to know one of these other salesmen that, that, that is new. And it turns out that it was Justin Crowder. And I don't know how the whole, like, I think he mentioned that he played baseball and then he played professionally. He's like, oh, my brother-in-law played baseball and in like, where'd he go? He went, you know, he went to Notre Dame. And then, and then he was like, uh, like, when did he graduate? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm not. And then he got to my name and he was like, you gotta be kidding me. I can't get away from this. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing, like you guys, you know, Steve crossed paths with him, Stanley with the, you know, with the spring training and Steve now with the, you know, the connection from work and my first place I played was Vancouver. And, you know, Steve uh, Stanley went on, and um, I think you started out in Modesto or Visalia, right? Right, right. That first, um, you know, that first season, that first summer. But I went to Vancouver, and that's where Justin was. And so he was already there because oh, he had left, you know, finished the college season. He had signed. He had gone to Vancouver. He'd been there already. I had waited a little while. Um, and then late in July, when I signed, I went to Vancouver and all I remember was like thinking how good a pitcher he was. And I, and then I knew he was going to be on the team. And so some of the other guys that were there, um, remember Brant Colomarino from Pittsburgh? Yeah. He was also drafted and was on the team in Vancouver. And some of these other guys that when I got there and joined the team, like they were all like wondering how I was going to 
act, you know, around Justin because he was already there and, and he was afraid, like he was kind of afraid and shy, like didn't want to, you know, like he's like, how is this guy going to be? You know, is he going to be like a jerk and just rub it in my face or whatever? And, you know, so anyway, it's just was funny because like like Stanley, me, Crowder were all drafted by the A's that year, you know, and, and it plays out that he gets the triple. I hit the home run. Then we were all in the A's organization together. And Justin and I happened to be on Vancouver that summer, like the next team we play on, we're on the same team together. So, you know, for me, I just kind of went up, shook his hand and, and like kind of introduced myself, but just said, like, you're a great pitcher. I'm glad we're on the same team, you know, and I think like the way I acted kind of helped him like feel a little bit better. And then we were just teammates that summer. And then throughout the time I was with the A's, we were at different levels, but we did play a year in double A together. And he was good. Like he was always good as he moved up through. And, and I always remembered that how good he was and how the pitch one pitch could have gone differently yeah. or he could have got me again. So I think that he was afraid of being on the same team with me after what happened. But um, for me, it was, yeah, we got, we won, but that's over, you know, and now we complete be teammates. And I think that helped him and cause he was still good and he was good with for us in the minor leagues. And, I really enjoyed getting to know him and playing with him for a couple seasons in the minors. Well, for guys who wrecked this guy's life, you guys are all really good guys <laughs> yourself. So, <laughs> no, this has been a lot of fun. This is this has been a blast, guys, to get to to do something like this. Like I said, we've never tried anything like this before. It was great to see you uh, at the 20 year anniversary a few months back. And I'll just kind of give you the floor, you know, real quick. If you want to go around the horn again, any any kind of final thoughts before we wrap this up tonight well this is always every time we get together it is a highlight for me and just to spend time with you guys and and to remember those days and to look you know i'm a huge college baseball fan now and i love watching where the game has gone um and you know i do i will say that those days you know in omaha uh and then you know even as you guys are recording Calling and all of those times spent together, it was really one of the best times of my life. I'm very thankful that I got to be a part of that and be part of this group. And um, I'm excited. You know, we're getting together in the fall again, so it'll be great to, to see everybody again. Somebody's rocking out. <laughs> Sorry about that. The phone's connected to right. the, the headpiece too. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I was like, sorry, I was like sorry. Sean's, Sean's putting my comments to music in, man. Like, yeah. Nice job. Right. Yeah. You didn't realize I had the producer key, right? Yeah. Um, no, and just to build on that, yeah, those, I, I mean, these conversations, such great memories, um, just part of what was an incredible four-year run for, for me at Notre Dame and, you know, I mean, for the best years of my life, for sure, which is, you know, why I'm back here now. It's why I do what I do. Um, so just grateful to, to have these friendships, grateful to have these memories. And, uh, and like Steve said, can't wait to, to get back in the fall and see those guys again. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard to believe it's been 20 years and I'm so glad we had the reunion and most of the guys and most of the staff were back just, you know, a few months ago, um, you know, or, or just, just a little over a month ago and, you know, it's been 20 years, but the guys are the same, you know, and that's what is so cool, like that we can just pick up where we left off. And but the thing now that guys have families and they've had 
had so many other experiences since then. It's so neat to learn and hear about what they've done since. But at the same time, we always have this, you know, we always have Notre Dame and Notre Dame baseball and this team specifically, the College World Series. So, you know, it's so great to get back together. The reunion was a blast and I didn't want to leave that weekend, you know, after being back together with everyone. And it's great that we can talk here again and kind of relive that that last inning against Rice. So, and Sean, I really appreciate you digging up the old audio files that you sent to everyone. Oh, no problem. And, and doing this today, you know, to be able to, um, do you know, do something like this. Like we were saying, it's like, who would have thought you could do something like this 20 years ago? Yeah, no you know, kidding. <laughs> and get together on, you know, the computer and, and relive that, that time. So, um, you know, it's just a lot has happened in 20 years, but you know, the cool thing too, is when you come from an area, probably Steve and Steve, the same thing is that you can say, watch the game. And that was the coolest. And it was but probably the best things about it too was not just the group in this team, um, but even years from someone, it's like, yeah, I was watching that game against Rice, you know, and you know, that, and that's the cool thing is when you, you hear how many people caught the game or, or or followed back then, and yeah, you know, thought it, thought it was really really neat and not just for me but to see the whole team so um you know i'm glad we're kind of reunion you doing the reunion and, and reliving it ourselves but um but that to me was really um like a pleasant surprise that for years after hearing from people back around here you know that i got to do something it kind of made the people from my home area proud you know and i'm sure for steve and steve the same thing well, guys, again, this has been a blast. It's always great to uh, to get to talk to you. It was great to to see you recently, and uh, look forward, hopefully, to uh, to doing. Maybe we'll do something like this again in the future. But uh, you know, it's it's always you know it's 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 my honor to get to have been like a small piece in this whole thing. You know, to get to kind of relive this kind of thing. So it's 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 awesome, guys. Thanks again for doing this, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Hopefully, in the not too distant future. Thanks, Thanks so much, Sean. All right. Thanks, Sean. All right. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna put the wraps on things, Vince. I didn't. I wasn't expecting you to kind of uh, hang out. You know, I saw you watching there. You know, we've got kind of a little, you know, like side room. You know, where where Vince was watching offline, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. That was one of the cooler things that I think I've ever done. And I appreciate all the comments that we got. You know, throughout the game from from uh, viewers and, and stuff like that. But that was that was pretty cool to be able to do something like that, Vince. Well, I, I've been looking forward to hearing those guys. And and you had told me about the fact you were going to interview them. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be cool. And you're going to walk them through the whole bottom of the ninth inning. And I've heard your calls in the past. And to hear them go through it and what they were thinking and how it all – I mean, that was that was awesome, man. I, I'm, I was like a little kid. I, I, my both hands were here, and I was just kind of watching and just taking it all in And because uh, those guys are right about my age. and uh, That's to be able true. To, to be able to look back, you know, 20 years 
that's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty darn cool. I think I was a junior in college in 2002, so I was right there uh, as far as well, you're, the Are you 40 group, or so. 41? I'm I, 41. 41, yeah. So you're uh, – because I remember at they just had their 20-year reunion back in April, and, and you know, I got to go over and have some beverages with those guys. And, and I remember <laughs> Solman telling me that I think that he had just turned 40, and he was a sophomore that year. Yeah, yep. so he would have been like right a year behind yeah. you. So those guys are riding my wheelhouse and, you know, you, you sit back and you think about college and what an amazing experience college was in general. But then to have that kind of a moment, you're never going to forget that. And as soon as all three of them and plus you all in that group together, you're going to fall right back into those memories. And just like buddies, I, it, it was awesome. Like that was and it was like we were eavesdropping on a conversation <laughs> between buddies. That's what that felt like. And it was really cool. So thank you for setting that up. I really enjoyed it. We'll have to see if we can do more of those kind of things in the future. Yeah. If, absolutely if can so absolutely yep, for sure for sure all right well that's uh that's going to do it for tonight we you know we we're for an hour show and we're in, at an hour and 45 minutes but you know that took up an hour of it and it was uh, to me it was a worthwhile hour i hope i you know again we got a lot of really nice comments about you know fr from uh some of our viewers who were very interested in that and uh, you know so hopefully a lot of other people were interested in it as well so ben you have a good rest of your week and, and weekend, and I will uh, talk to you next week. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. That's going to do it for tonight. All right. I think we had a little lag there, but that's going to do it for tonight's show. Of course, remember, you can always find the uh, the archives, the video archives on YouTube at the Irish Breakdown YouTube channel, and you can also find the audio podcasts on all the, uh, the typical, wherever you get your podcasts, you know, your audio streaming platform. So, we will talk to you tomorrow on IB Nation Sports Talk. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.